Um, it is me speaking this morning. Uh, and uh, we were due to be looking at the Apostles' Creed. That's why those words, uh, we believe, are there. Uh, and we still believe, don't worry about that. Um, but just as I was uh, delving into the subject for um, this morning, towards the end of this week, my thoughts were led in a very different direction. Uh, and I've got something else I'd love just to, to share with you this morning. So we're going to turn together to Mark's Gospel. Uh, so Mark chapter 12. If you'd like a Bible, there's plenty available at the back. Please feel free to grab one. Or to nick one off somebody who has just grabbed one. That's great. Mark chapter 12. And we're going to start reading at verse, not 14, sorry, Mark chapter 12. Ignore the screen. I don't know who does these PowerPoints. Uh, and um, starting reading at verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. Imagine saying that to Jesus. Well, well done. Yeah, well done. Yeah. You are right in saying that God is one. Well, you are talking to God. So. And there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well said, well said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start with a quick question this morning, and it's not a trick one. It's quite an easy one. When we think of the commandments, there's a number that we traditionally put next to the commandments. So how many commandments are there? Ten, very good. Now, in addition to that, of course, there's also kind of other laws and things that the, the Jews like to tease out. This question that they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment, comes at a time when there were so many different commandments and so many clauses and subclauses and explanations and little asterisks and all those kind of things. So they wanted to know, how do we get it down to a nutshell? You know, we've kind of taken the law and done this with it, but how do we, how do we summarize it? And the question that the rabbis were asking in Jesus' day is, what's the great, what's the one thing? So they asked Jesus, what's the greatest? How many commandments does Jesus narrow it down to? Yeah. Two-ish. I think there's another one in here that I want us to land on this morning. But what's amazing to me is that you get these clashes of effectively two worlds, two kingdoms. What's the greatest commandment? How can I be the best at keeping all the rules? How can I be the best at impressing God? And in answering in this way, Jesus effectively says, wrong question. 
question is not who can believe the best or do the best. You really know what it's like to honor God. The question is who can love the best? Who can love the most? And Jesus, from the whole of the Old Testament, picks two verses. He says it's effectively about love. You shall love the Lord your God with all. And this is a phrase that keeps repeating, is it? With all, with all. With all your heart, my passions, my emotions. With all your soul, your being. With all your mind, my intellect, my choices. With all my strength, my doing. I can direct that in love towards God. Jesus says, that's life. That's how to live. And then he says, I want to sneak another one in. He's a classic preacher here. He tells you he's got one point. And he says, well, actually there's two. The second, he says, is just like it. It's like a photo finish between the two. Love God. That's got to come first with all, with all that you are, with all that you have. But there's a second place. It's a photo finish. It's just behind it. And love your neighbor as yourself. The man listening says, that's brilliant. That's, that's better than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Have you ever met somebody who almost understood it, and excited about the message of Jesus, and seemed to know a lot and act a lot like a Christian, and you just think, oh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. To love God with all he's got, and to love your neighbor. Now, classically, the Jewish uh, mindset at the time tried to work out, well, who is your neighbor? In the story of the Good Samaritan, that was Jesus' answer to that question. And it says, love my neighbor, but I've got lots of neighbors, and as a nation, we've got neighbors, and there's neighbors all over the world. How can I possibly love everyone? I, I can't possibly have the capacity to know everyone well enough to love them. So what does neighbor mean? And again, Jesus says, wrong question. Effectively, if a Samaritan can treat a Jew as a neighbor, the question is not who is my neighbor, the question is who isn't. And so how then do we love our neighbor? In what way do we seek to love each other? Jesus says here in emphasizing, in underlining this verse from the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. Implied here, isn't it, is an understanding, an invitation to love ourselves. This makes no sense at all if I expect to be treated as a doormat or an object of abuse. To treat others in that way makes no sense at all. Another saying that was going around in Jesus' day when it came to ethics was this. Don't do to other people what you would not want them to do to you. And Jesus, in classical fashion, flips it. He says, actually, I want you to go further than that. In my kingdom, I want you to do to others as you would have them do to you. Which is another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So I've got a question for you this morning. It's actually going to be a series of a few sort of related questions. And apologies if you're one of those people that likes to come to church for answers. I can't answer these questions for you today. 
Only you can answer these questions. But if Jesus tells us to love others as we love ourselves, I want to ask you, how do you feel about you? How do you feel about you? There are people in this world who are grateful that there is a you in this world. Their life is fuller and richer and blessed and happier because you are here. Are you grateful there's a you in this world? How do you feel? Wow, it's gone quiet this morning. How do you feel about you? I'd like you to do something for me for just a moment. If we could all uh, take our phones out. Can we do that? Don't nick someone else's phone. Then your own phone will be, will be enough. <laughs> you haven't brought a round of applause. Somebody's not brought a phone. Very good. Uh, others of you will have your phones out already. I presume because you're recording clips to put on TikTok. I presume that's what you're doing on, on your phones. Uh, but if you can grab your phone for, for just a second. And I'd love you just to turn it to the camera and have your camera in selfie mode so that you're looking, I know, so that you're looking at yourself. Just take a moment today. If you need to, you could peek around the corner and look at your face on someone else's phone. But just take a moment to look at your face. Can I introduce you to someone? Look at that face. The Bible tells us, you are made in the image of God. How do you feel about that person looking back at you right now? Made in the image. God sees himself in eight billion faces. Eight billion names worth knowing. Eight billion people worth saving. 80 billion fingerprints worth writing. And God says over you, as he said over your creation, over your genesis, that's good. That's good. How do you feel about the person that you're looking at in the reflection? Now, when I was growing up, we had this amazing moment in the life of the valleys when uh, Sky One came to the valleys. And if I wasn't watching Star Trek Next Generation or Friends, I was watching this show. Who knows what this show is? The Simpsons. I think when we first started watching The Simpsons, we were drawn to this character called Bart Simpson. But then as you get to know the show, you realize that Homer Simpson is the beating heart uh, of The Simpsons. And some of my favorite moments in The Simpsons were when Homer would say something and then the camera would kind of pan up to the top of his head, and you'd hear something of his self-talk, his thoughts. Sometimes it was like, oh no, Marge is expecting an answer, and I haven't been talking for about five minutes, and he'd just have a shot of, of what answer he could give. Or other times it was just the sound of two flies uh, going around. But I remember one scene where he's asked a question by his boss, and he gives this ridiculous answer. He doesn't know what he's saying, and the, it pans up to his head, and you just hear this slow hand clap going through his mind. And if it was possible today to be able to listen to what we tell ourselves, I wonder what that would sound like today.
How do you speak to you? That's the voice you're listening to most in life. What do you call yourself when you talk to yourself? What kind of language do you use? Because you're talking to somebody made in the image of God. How do you feel about you? For some of us, that's going to be a difficult question today for a number of reasons. And I'd love to explore some of those today. Uh, and just to help some of us, I want to adapt the question just slightly. So how do you think God wants you to feel about you? It's a great question for us to sit with for a moment today. The way in which I talk to myself, is that how, we'd, how God would want us to speak to ourselves? if God is my father, and if I heard somebody talking to my kids the way I talk to myself, would I be happy with that? How do you think God wants you to feel about you? I remember uh, a while ago going into hospital, um, a number of us here will know or remember George Turner. And uh, when he was in hospital, I went in to see him. Gorgeous man, wonderful man. And uh, he was dying, and he knew it. So I went to see him. Uh, opposite him was uh, another guy uh, in another bed, and before I could see George, uh, the, the doctors and nurses were um, doing some work on him or needed some time with him, so I was just stood there. And sometimes, Andy, you must find this as well in a hospital, if you're carrying a Bible, sometimes you get outed as a minister. Uh, and uh, the guy opposite kind of calls over to me and says, oh, are you, are you a minister? So I said, yeah, I am. So he said, oh a chat. So uh, I went on over. He explained to me that he also was dying, and he'd had no visitors at all. He said him and his wife had no children. Both his parents were dead, uh, and because he was a black man and he'd married a white woman, her family weren't happy, and so he had no contact with that side of the family now that his wife had died. And from nowhere, he fills up with tears and says, I'm about to breathe my last breath and nobody will know. I don't see anybody, he says. Nobody knows me. That happens in our world, in our city, on our watch. And so I just said, <laughs> a real holy moment. I just said to him, with respect, you are seen, and you are known, and you are loved. I remember thinking that day, going home, there's a, a verse in the New Testament where an apostle is writing to a pastor, and he says, discharge all the duties of your minister. I kind of felt like if I do nothing else after that conversation. Something happens to us, doesn't it, when we know that we are seen, and known, and crucially, love. If you're here this morning and you describe yourself as a millennial, if you don't, don't worry, I'm not going to go into that now, you were probably quite affected this week, or the previous week, with the news of Matthew Perry's death. For those of you who don't know, Matthew Perry was an American comedian and actor. Uh, he starred on Friends, the role of Chandler Bing, uh, and growing up, I, I loved that show. And so I was kind of fascinated in recent years to hear uh, how difficult it was for Matthew Perry 
he was somebody who became addicted to getting a response from the audience. And so as they were filming, if he didn't get a huge laugh, it would crush him emotionally. And he'd ask to do take after take to get bigger and, and bigger laughs and tweak his lines and was driven by this need to be liked and to be loved. That in turn led him to all kinds of other addictions, including alcohol and then later drugs. And this week, he was, oh, the week before last, sorry, he was found dead in his hot tub. Now, he released a book um, just about, just under a year ago. And some of the things that he writes in that book are, are absolutely chilling to read now. Uh, it starts like this. Can you flick it on for me, Joe? Thank you. It says, hi, my name is Matthew, although you may know me by another name. Most of us is Chandler. My friends call me Matty, and I should be dead. He's referring to a time when he was going through something so difficult that they had to put him on a special machine. And this machine is called a Hail Mary, because it's like the last chance for anyone. Uh, his parents were told he had a 2% chance of lasting the night. In the hospital, there were five, uh, five people in total that were on this Hail Mary machine. And by the morning, he was the only one remaining, the only one left. And that began to give him a new perspective uh, on his life. But he describes his addiction in this way. The idea of being famous, the idea of being rich, the idea of being me, I can't enjoy any of it unless I'm high. This is a, in his previous life. I can't think about love without wanting to be high. I lack a spherical connection that protects me from these feelings. Somebody desperate to know that he was loved. And I wonder for you and I today what it is that we do, where those places that we go, when we need to know that we're loved. The ways in which we make sure we're seen and we're known. I'd like us just to pause that for just a moment. Sorry, Joey, I'm not getting anything out of this this morning. So the question of how you feel about you, I just pause that for a moment and let's just take a step back from that. Because there's a more fundamental question that we need to ask before we ask that, which is this. What does love feel like? How do we know what love is? How do we know when we're being loving and when we're being loved. And the truth is we learn that, don't we, uh, through life. Some of us have had good experiences of that. Some of us have had really tough experiences of that. I wonder where you learned, where you were seen, known, and loved, where, where you got that from. Psychologists tell us that there's three big things that we recognize as we're growing up, uh, that there's things that we do that get us attention or affection or applause. And some of that is really healthy. Well done, you did not run out onto the road. Well done, you did not stick your hand into a fire. That's, some of that's really healthy. Some of it can become really unhealthy. And deep down inside of us, there's a voice somewhere that says, I get attention when, or I get affection when, or I get applause when. And we'd all end that a certain way, depending on our upbringing, experience, and gifting. For some of us, that was when I did well at school. 
or when I dressed a certain way, or when I acted a certain way. I get love when. But that kind of love is always conditional, isn't it? It's always dependent on my performance or lack of it. The truth is then we, we start to grow up. And the reality is, as much as we hate to admit it, the older we get, the less we can do. There's some new stuff that we can start to do. But even the stuff that we used to do, we have to do in new ways. And the sentence, I'm loved when, can sometimes become, I'm loved if. We live in a world where sometimes we're scared to really be ourselves. Because what happens if somebody sees the real me and then the attention and the affection and the applause stops? So here's a question that only you can answer. What does love feel like to you? There's a guy called Gary Chapman, a psychologist who's done some tremendous work on this called The Love Languages. It's a great book to read, especially if you're in a, a, a relationship encourage you to read it together to try and understand different languages because sometimes we can be speaking different languages to each other trying to show love but it doesn't get seen or recognized in the same way so as we come to this question this morning of how does God want you to feel about you you can't divorce that from the question of how God feels about you so how does God feel about you. There's this verse in Romans. It's somewhere there in the PowerPoint. Joe, you can take a look through, try and find it if you want to. But it comes from Romans chapter 5. And Paul is really writing about something that was going on in his day, uh, which was if there was somebody who was really, really wealthy and they committed a, um, a transgression, a, a, an illegal act, and they couldn't buy their way out of it and they were sentenced to death, uh, they could offer money to somebody to take their place, to take the, the death penalty for them. Uh, they were called sort of benefactors. Although how much benefit this person got from it, I don't know. But the money, I guess, could be invested in, in family. And so there was a saying in Paul's day that for a good person, a benefactor, Benny being good, sometimes you might be bold enough to say, all right, for the sake of my family, if the price is right, I will accept a death penalty. Now, it was extremely rare, but it did happen. And with that in mind, Paul writes this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Paul takes two words here, doesn't he? Still powerless and still sinners. The word powerless just means weak physically and, and morally. We had nothing that we could do to bridge the gap, to pay the price, to reach out to God. We were so far from him and we were helpless in that state. And we were still sinners, a word in the original language which means to miss the mark. That God's standards of perfection and holiness are there. We miss the mark by a long way. Our arrow doesn't even reach the board. Paul says that's who we were. Now if in this world for a good person someone might dare to die, how does God show his love? 
but by coming to die for those who miss the mark, who are powerless about their condition. He doesn't just tell us that he loves us, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, which is why John says, this is how we know what love is. It's not when, it's not if. In the church, we can be just as guilty, can't we? I get attention and affection and applause when I say I believe the right things, when I act in a Christian way, when I try to be the good Baptist boy that's probably buried down deep in there somewhere. I get attention, affection, applause if, if, Paul tells us no, while we were still God demonstrates his love for us in this so that we would know, so that there would be a place so that when you and I doubt this, because I recognize this morning, I'm asking you to believe something unbelievable. I know that. I'm asking you to grasp something ungraspable. That when we doubt that God loves us, there would be a place where it is painted on our timeline. This is how we know. This is how we know. I wonder if you've ever tried to um, sell something online, something that you don't need anymore. I know a whole bunch of us will, will do that these days. And we put it on for a certain price, don't we? And we put it on for that price because well, it means something to us. It's been in the family and we've used it and we love it and we know it. And so we think it's worth this. So we whack it online at that price. And then we watch as no one shows any interest at all. And so we have to and lower the price a little bit or haggle to try and get a good price for it. See, I can put any price tag I want to on something, but until somebody is willing to pay that price, it's still not sold, it's still not redeemed, it's just left there on the shelf. There's another verse I want us to land on today that comes from Peter. He says this, For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your own ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. Yes, missing the mark, sure. Yes, weak. But precious enough to God who shed the blood of his one and only son Mm. Mm, mm. 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 Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. 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 Mm.
Thank you. Thank you. And in this world of questions, struggle, and difficulty, and pain, what I want us to grasp today is the one who knows you best loves you the most. The one who knows you best loves you the most. I'd love to just share one more story before we come to, to pray together. Uh, as some of you know, I, I take a day a week uh, on secondment at the moment, and I'm doing some filming projects with the uh, Baptist Union of Great Britain. And um, the filming's fun, and the editing is great. But what I really love is, is meeting the people and hearing the stories. And I was talking to one guy who was planting a new church uh, up in one situation, and he had hopes and dreams for what that was going to look like. And he says it was heartache for a long time, just trying and trying and trying to, to plant this church. And there was one person who came who struggled with drugs and, and alcohol. And they came and they sat in the back of the church. And uh, one, one day they stuck their hand up and really wanted to come and share something. He didn't really want that, but he said, okay, eventually he let him come forward. Uh, and as he was coming forward, he noticed that this man had, had wet himself. Uh, but still he, he let him come. And he said, what, what do you want to say? And he just said, I want to say... I'm so happy to be here today. And I just love this place. And this guy who was planted in the church gave him the biggest hug that he could. And somehow this man had found somewhere where he could be seen and known and loved. Matthew Perry, the actor I just mentioned, there's one time in the book where he says he was so desperate, he, he cried out to God. He said, God, I, I don't even know if I believe in you, but I've got nowhere else to go. Will you please help me? And he says in that moment, he felt surrounded by this love that he'd never known, this peace that he'd never known. And he was sober from that day forward, having spent, was it something like $7 million trying to get sober? He found that that hole within him that he was filling with drugs and alcohol, the love of Jesus satisfied and he found that he was able to walk in that love and help others who'd been in the same place. So I want to allow us just a moment this morning to sit with those questions, questions that, that no one else can answer for you today. Perhaps you'll bow your heads with me. And I'm not going to ask you to write this down or tell the person next to you, just, just between you and God today. How do you feel about you? How do you think God wants you to feel about you? How does God feel about you? So, Lord Jesus, at your invitation today, we come again to the cross. 
help us to see and to receive that love which is there just waiting to be poured, just waiting for permission, just waiting for invitation. And so each one of us today, I just want to encourage you, would you just invite the love of Jesus? Just say yes to the love of Jesus here at the cross.